And we're back. <laughs> okay, so I'm finally going to talk about this whole switching to Sony thing, which I feel like I've been saying I was going to talk about for a while now. It's probably been like a year and a half, and uh, it's hopefully compelling. I, uh, I've got to be honest, I, I put intent into this. I do think about like what's, what's the kind of things that I wish I heard people talk about when I was, you know, a few years back. And I think one of the things that I always wanted was just like a little more brain dump and a little less clean and polished. So I feel like I need to just frame that because this is definitely more brain dump and less clean and polished. I have not written out a whole list of things. I'm just gonna tell you why I currently have Sony stuff and how that fits into the story of all the cameras I've had before. And hopefully, by the end of this, you will have some more information that helps you make a decision about how you want to show up in the cameras you want to use. So, where do we start? Well, I feel like you could start from the question of what makes Sony great. Eh, that's fair, but it's also sort of boring. I think you'd start from the question of, one, what have you had in the past? And two, what's the point of any of this? So for me, the best camera is the one that allows you to tell the story that you want to tell. And in the context of, you know, there's there's little tropes about the best camera is the one that you have with you. And I think that's true. If you're trying to catch stories uh, and you don't have your camera, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. But if you're in a context where you do strictly uh, big budget commercial work, then like, no one gives a shit how big your camera is because they're spending an ass load of money to have 30 people stand around and make it look pretty. Now, if you are not doing that, there are a whole lot of other factors you would consider. If you don't have limitless money and you don't have limitless time and you don't have a limitless budget and you don't have a limitless team, then now all these restrictions make the decision more meaningful. My first camera was a Canon T3i. That's what I learned to shoot video on. And the reason I had a Canon T3i was it was the best thing that I could get as a Christmas gift from my mom at the time. It came with a, a kit lens and, uh, you know, it was, it was garbage. But it was mine and I loved it. I just found a picture and I'm probably going to post it when I post this. And it's 10 years old and it's me out on the beach filming with my T3i and my Nifty 50 on a shoulder rig, which I had built out of square metal tubing from Home Depot. And I was jazzed about my Nifty 50. And I loved seeing that because it, it just sort of grounded me again for a second that it's like, dude, all this shit is relative. Seriously. Like, let's just be real for a second. Best is relative to your limitations and what you can access and what you can do. And everyone says, oh, well, people have made movies on iPhones. Yeah, that's true. People, you know, active valor shot in a 5D. All that stuff's great. You know, tools matter. They do. It is true. I have shot with a lot of great stuff. I would not willfully choose bad stuff. But... I would say as someone who has tried everything, it is also true that context is key. So 
about a little bit over a year ago. Well, let's go back. So I had my T3i, then I got a Canon C100 Mark I, which was given to me by Lens Pro to Go. When I was doing work with Lens Pro to Go, doing content for their YouTube channel, they at one point gifted me a C100 to use for that content because I was constantly having to steal cameras out of the rental inventory. And I think they were honestly like, God, this guy's annoying. So let's just give him one of the cameras that we're going to get rid of. I love that thing. That was one of my favorite cameras. I love that camera so much and it changed my whole world. But I had the C100 for a few years, shot a bunch of stuff, which looking back, I still really love on my C100 because it doesn't matter the highlight roll off. It doesn't matter all that stuff like this stuff's great. But the thing I see the most in those old pieces is the stories I was trying to tell. And so I had that for a few years and decided to save up and buy my first big boy camera, which was a red Scarlet W. I'm going to quickly go through this story. And for those of you who know it, (laughs) you're probably smirking because it's a controversial story in my background. I bought my Red Scarlet W. I saved up and bought it cash. When we, when myself and Mandy got married, our wedding invitations said we don't have a registry and we would prefer cash or check. Mandy needs a washing machine and Evan wants a Red Dragon. And it was sort of tongue in cheek, but no one knew what a Red Dragon was. But I ended up having a Scarlet W, which I believe has a Dragon sensor in it. I don't remember at this point, honestly. Um, and so I bought that thing and it was like $10,000 or whatever. And that was a big deal at the time. And I shot on that for a few years and it was a good camera. I really, you could say bad things about it now, but I think it's a good camera and it didn't serve me really well because it didn't serve the kind of work I was trying to do. It didn't serve the kind of clients I was trying to work with. It wasn't serving me financially because I couldn't really rent it well, and so the the ROI wasn't there, and I didn't love it enough to deal with it not having ROI. I sort of needed that investment to pay off for me, so I ended up selling it, and I talked about that uh, publicly, and at the time, I got blocked by Jared Land from Red Digital Cinema, um, which in hindsight, I get because he had sort of honestly had my back. He had been supporting what I was doing, and he had hooked me up a few times with like rental cameras while I was waiting for my Scarlet W pre-order. And so I really, I don't blame Jared for that, honestly, because I don't think, I think the problem there was how I told the story because I I probably told the story more as like, Hey, red's the problem. I don't, I don't know. I don't tend to tell stories like that, but maybe I did. But the, the, Reality was it just wasn't a good fit for where I was at. It was a great camera. It wasn't a good fit for where I was at. It was controversial. Got a bunch of views. I didn't tell that story to be like clickbaity. I just felt like it was important to talk about how, how context matters. So I guess I'm retelling that story again a few years later now. And so that was my first big uh, internet controversy where all the YouTube commenters were like, man, this guy's dumb. <laughs> but uh, so I sold my red. And at the time, my plan was to just go back to renting cameras. I was doing mostly DP work at the time. And my buddy Quentin and I, who you will hear more about if you don't already know, he was my new local DP buddy. And we were playing FIFA one day and had this idea we should buy an Ari Amira together. He was doing a lot of ESPN work and stuff. I was doing some of that work. We had a line on a really good deal on one. 
So long story short, we ended up buying an Amira together. We decided to co-own it, and that would be a fun thing to talk about if I ever have him on the podcast, or if everyone's really interested, I can get into it more, but we co-owned it. It was like $34,000, and the idea was we he had a few, enough days coming up that he was confident he could book like 10 days on it, and we were confident we could get like $1,000 a day for it, which was similar to like Alexa Mini pricing, but it was a lot cheaper than an Alexa Mini to get an Amira. So... We split it in half on the cost. We split all the rental revenue in half. And then we just sort of made our money back. And within, I don't remember exactly. I'd have to look back at the sheet. I want to say within like six months, we it had paid for itself. And so we ended up having that camera for something like two years. I don't remember exactly. And we sold it. So we paid $34,000 for it. I think we sold it for like 30 or 29. I don't have the sheet in front of me right now, but it was something like that, which is the other thing. Another big takeaway that I would give you is um, the low and mid-level stuff depreciates way faster than the high-level stuff. And, And that might not be universally true, but it's pretty close to true that's like, sky panels and m18s and uh alexas and really good lenses all these things hold their value a lot more than like your fs7 will and so you have to make a decision on like how much capital you have obviously if you don't have thirty thousand dollars it is what it is but like that amira cost us less to own for two years than my scarlet w cost me to own for two years i think because by the time i sold it I think I lost like $8,000 on the Scarlet W or something. So I, uh, we, what's the next important part of the story? The next important part of the story is, oh, so we ended up renting it, use it a ton. It worked out for the kind of work we were both doing. I think it also worked out because we were getting called by a lot of production companies and agencies who were sort of dipping their toe into what I would call quote unquote real DP work for the first time. So we weren't the big uh, agent repped big client DPs, but for a lot of these like mid, mid lower tier production companies and agencies, we were the transition into that kind of work. And a lot of those companies owned C300s and stuff like that. And so they were like, oh, we finally got a budget. We got $100,000. We're going to hire a DP. Who's a DP we can hire? Quentin or Evan. We got a budget for a camera. Ari's great. Perfect. And so they would pay for us and the camera. And so a lot of times we were getting, you know, anywhere at that point, honestly, from I was working, I was still doing some jobs for like 750 bucks a day up to like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a day, with the average probably being about a thousand dollars a day. And the camera rental was another thousand dollars a day, but we were splitting it, obviously. So, you know, I'd make five hundred bucks on that. And then we had other gear. I ended up buying Vista Primes and had a whole kit. Um, but when it was all said and done. Uh, Quentin ended up buying a Venice, which was the main, I think, prompter for us selling the Amira. I love the Venice. To be totally honest, Quentin didn't want to go splitsies on it, which I totally respect. I think my personal preference would have been that we just sold the Amira, put the money into a Venice together and moved into that. But he wanted to have his own camera, which I totally get. And so then it was like, well, if you're not going to use the Amira, it doesn't really make sense to co-own the Amira. I'm going into slow season. There's a rumor of a new RE sensor. Let's just sell this thing while it's worth something. So we sold the Amira, sold it for like $30,000-ish. And I want to say, 
let me pull up the sheet real quick. So one thing that's nice with big things like this, uh, I think it's worth keeping track of, but honestly, like I haven't done it with my FX nine and stuff. So when we had the Amira, we kept a spreadsheet and it was especially valuable because we were keeping track of both of our income splits off it. So we sort of had to, to check that we were always squared up on who owed who money. Um, okay. So we rented it for on the chart number of days, 166.5 days for a total of $131,000. And then we sold it for 28.5, which means our total, uh, total cash out was $160,000. Um, which is, is pretty good. I mean, it's not, it's honestly like, I know some of you, your jaws on the floor and some of you were like, that's not a lot of money. And I think you're both right. It is crazy. And it's also not a lot of money. Um, you know, split between two people, we each put in $17,000 and over the course of the next two years made like, uh, what is that? $65,000 each. That's not bad. Three times ROI beats the hell out of the stock market. And it's a lot less risky than crypto, but it wasn't like we were rolling in it because we were also paying for a lot of stuff, buying buying a lot of stuff. Quentin bought a moto crane. I bought Vista Prime. So it was all during this very investment heavy phase of everything. And I know what you're thinking is like, holy crap, I just want this dude to talk about Sony. <laughs> I'm getting there, I promise. So I love the Amir because it was perfect for the kind of work I was doing. I was doing a lot of the small crew documentary work easy rig stuff, relatively produced, but not like crazy. The weight was nice. I wasn't shooting a lot of anamorphic. Being able to run audio into it sometimes was nice for like interviews and stuff. Um, internal NDs were nice. Like it all served the work I was doing. And again, market wise, it was a good ROI. So when we decided to sell the Amira, I started getting called for a few smaller direct to client works. I ended up buying a Blackmagic pocket camera. And then just to hold me over, because the plan was to buy the new RE Super 35 camera, because that was rumored to come out, and it hasn't come out as of me recording this, so egg on my face. Um, but we we had that thing, sold it, I bought the pocket camera, then I started getting called for some more direct client work, which wasn't really my intent, but... I was sort of, I felt like I needed a holdover. I got called to do a feature documentary too, um, a pharmaceutical feature documentary. And there was just enough pieces that I was like, okay, I need, I need a slightly more legit camera than a pocket camera, but I don't really want to put another big investment into something right now. And I was sort of sitting pretty on some cash, which I was okay with. So I ended up buying an Ursa Mini Pro and I was super impressed by the Ursa Mini Pro. It's a freaking great little camera. I had the G2. And as someone who had, back when I worked at LensPro, I had demoed the first Blackmagic cameras and tested them. The Ursa Mini Pro is an actual camera, and Blackmagic got so much better so quickly. That thing was great. I don't have a ton of beef with it, and I think for a lot of people, it's probably still one of the best like bang-for-your-buck cameras you can get. So for a few months, I was shooting on Blackmagic, a combination of the pocket cam and the Ursa Mini Pro. Loved those for what I was doing. They were adequate. I was mostly doing direct-to-client small doc stuff. 
didn't really need a big camera. And then like I went to Puerto Rico to do a documentary on Roberto Clemente production company had an Amira we were shooting on. So it was fine. And so at this point, the pandemic happens and I go back into a little bit more of a production company mode, a little less of a DP mode. And I was like, okay, well this works out because you know, I'm not getting paid per day for cameras anymore. I'm just sort of selling clients on projects. So when I was getting paid per day, like having a camera I could get $1,000 a day for was great. But when I'm just selling videos for $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, whatever it is, I don't get a whole lot more out of having an Amira than having an Ursa Mini Pro as long as the work's still good and I can make good work with both of them. So that worked for a period of time. And the thing there was a couple things that came together, which was I was getting back into making content for myself a little bit. I like wanted to get back into YouTube and taking pictures. I was doing these like training vlogs with me and Matt at the gym, which are still on my YouTube channel. No one ever watched them, which is totally fine. But, uh, my Ursa mini pro was a little bit big for that. So I like wanted to get something smaller, a little bit more of a hybrid camera. I had bought a Fuji XT four, which I loved, but I had this sense that, I I didn't want to have two systems, really, of like lenses and stuff. And so I had pre-ordered the A7S III and the Canon R5 because I was like, I think I'm either going to go all in on Canon or all in on Sony instead of being split between Blackmagic and Fuji. There was some other like tension there I was wrestling with. But uh, my, my real intent was that I was probably going to go Canon and stick with EF glass and have like the R5 and a Ursa Mini Pro. And so have the R5 instead of a pocket camera, I believe was the plan. And one day I forgot about my A7S three pre-order from Adorama and it shipped and I couldn't cancel it. And it came in and I was like, well, I got this thing. I might as well throw a lens on it. So I asked the buddy if I could borrow an E-mount lens threw a lens on it, ran outside, turned the autofocus on, recorded myself, came back in, opened the footage, and I literally was like, I, it, my mind is blown by this camera. Coming from an Amira and everything, like, the image quality, the color, I'd always hated Sony stuff. It, the FS7 looked like button was annoying. The FS5 looked like button was annoying. And, like, this was the first camera that I, Sony camera that I felt really connected to outside of the Venice. I loved the Venice. I'd shot a few shorts on the Venice, I love the Venice. It's a freaking beast for a lot of stuff, but it's it's a it's one of the best Swiss Army knife cameras out there right now. So the the A7S, I was like, okay, whew, okay, maybe we go Sony instead. Um, so I think I don't remember exactly. I think I sold my pocket camera, or maybe I just had the A7S. But now I was back in this position of like, okay, well now I have an E-mount stills camera. Do I go like all EF? and adapt it to the A7S or what do I do? And we had this project during the pandemic, which was a big series of training videos for a waste and recycling client. They needed to do a big LMS system for driver training. And we were doing a lot of like walk and talks, a lot of B-roll, and there was a lot of shoot days involved and we were sort of being sensitive to the budget. And after the first shoot day, I honestly was like, boy, um, if every time we do B-roll, we've got to bring this whole team, that's thousands of dollars. And so I was like, maybe I'll just buy an FX9 
and use the autofocus and save an AC. Um, cause I was like the money that I'll save on ACs will pay for the FX nine and then I'll have another camera and be all in Sony world. So I ended up buying the FX nine mostly for that reason. Also Texas media systems had like four years, 0% financing. So it was like three or 400 bucks a month to get the camera. And I was like, well, if I rent it one day a month, I'm good. And I'm relatively confident in that. It was a little scary cause it was the pandemic and you don't know what's going to happen. But so I sold my black magic stuff, went to Sony mostly for the autofocus and all just having one set of glass. So I bought, I had an a seven S three, the FX nine. I bought a Sigma 3550 and 85 and a Sigma 24 to 70, I think initially. And so that was my setup. We did all the, all the training content on that. They worked out great. And we put them like Venice, a seven S FX nine, and they're all incredibly close. Like it's, it's not in my best interest to tell you that, but even the A7S and the FX6 are so close to the Venice, it's scary. I think there's still reasons you would shoot on the Venice for color and, and all these other things, but like it blows my mind how good these little cameras are now. So after I had it, it was like, okay, well now we're going to shoot with it more. And the combination of like the very ND, the dual ISO, it's very much, it feels like a mini Amira in that it's a little bit long. It's not as heavy, which I think is good. It's like right on the edge with a, with a Sigma lens, like the 40 millimeter on there. It's just big enough to where it definitely could be easy riggable, but it's also small enough that you can just sort of chain gun it all day if you want. And so like, that's what I shot all the Cody Fry stuff on. I've shot a bunch of doc stuff on it. And it's like everything I love about the Amira plus a very ND dual ISO hardware switches for uh, your your frame rates and your white balance and your ISO. It's just really fast was my biggest thing. It was like coming from the Amira and having to do exposure jumps with your NDs and like having to make sure you had enough light. Once I got the FX9, it was like, oh, this is everything I love and faster. The menus make more sense. S-Log looks great. No complaints. And so that was sort of what set me off to the races. So I had the A7S. I ended up getting called to do stills during the pandemic more which I was excited about because I loved stills, but hadn't really been shooting them professionally for a few years. And so I needed to buy a stills camera. I ended up buying an a7R4 because it's like, well, I'm in this world. I have all these lenses. This is the body that makes sense. That camera's freaking bonkers. The resolution's crazy. The autofocus is crazy. So now I had an a7S, an a7R4, and the FX9, which was great, except for like there was a few times that I was doing smaller hybrid stuff, like following the cycling team and stuff like that. And like having two mirrorless bodies was sort of annoying because it was like, I don't know, managing both of these is annoying and managing lenses is annoying. So the A1 got announced and I realized I could just sell both bodies and basically do a straight trade where I could sell them for $6,500 together and buy an A1 for $6,500. So I went to the A1. And the A1 is another just like absolutely bonkers camera, honestly. From a video perspective, it's insane. Photo perspective, it's insane. The 8K is crazy. I never use it, but it's crazy. 30 frames per second stills is crazy. The autofocus and like eye autofocus is bonkers. The image quality is out of this world. It's like got this insane amount of resolution and shadow recovery to it uh i really like the color you know some people have it's a taste thing like that you can't say it's good or bad really it's just what do you like and i like it um 
So yeah, like for for where I'm at now, I ended up buying an FX6 too. I honestly don't even remember why I did, but I did. So I have an FX9, an FX6, the A1, and then the next layer was Mandy started shooting on the A1 sometimes because we still had my old Canon 6D that she was doing stills on, and she loved the A1 so much and was like, I just want to shoot on this, and I was like, well, I need it for work sometimes. So we ended up ordering the A7 IV in October when that got announced, and uh, I, I think it was the end of October. And got that. So that that's the camera that sh will split. Sometimes she'll take the A1. Sometimes she'll take the A7 IV. I use the A7 IV for content a lot because of the flippy screen and the USB-C webcam function. And they're all awesome cameras. Like, I really... No one's paying me to say this. I have never gotten a dime from Sony, though I would gladly take one because I'm sure I've sold them more cameras than who knows what. But... um if I didn't think they were the best option for me, I wouldn't use them. I don't think they're the best option for everyone and every job. Like, and so we'll still use Quentin's Venice sometimes. But like, the reason we don't own a Venice is Quentin and our buddy Mike both live within a few miles of me and own Venices. So like, it would be redundant. I'd rather give them the money to rent theirs. Our buddy Andrew has another FX9. I obviously have a whole bunch of these things. And so when the Venice guys need B cams, they'll usually rent my FX9 or my FX6. When I need a bigger cam, I rent their Venice. We got a good little ecosystem going on between all of us. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's like other little stuff I could get into it, but I don't know how much anyone cares. Like the, I really like the small rig cage I have for my FX9. I put a VCT plate on it, which works really well with my O'Connor tripod and then have the same VCT plate on my, uh, cart my innovative cart so it's really nice because we can take it off sticks put the sticks on a hook on the cart and then clamp the camera right onto the cart so it's not rolling around the lenses are great the sigma 28 and 40 are both insane i honestly only really use the autofocus for either talking head stuff like interviews or walk and talks but for walk and talks and interviews the autofocus is absolutely insane it's so much less stressful to have like a tight shallow profile B cam and know that it's going to keep their eyes in autofocus the whole time without you having to monitor it. Um, and if you're doing a walk and talk like a movie or a Ronin sort of thing, I mean, maybe this is controversial to my AC friends, but like we had way less mistakes with the FX9 autofocus than we did with an AC. And that's not the AC's fault. It's just, it's crazy how good it is. But like if you're doing cinematic focus pulls and like slow intentional stuff, the, the computer's not great for that. Another crazy thing about the A1 that I love, you can, on the RS2, you can run a cable to the A1 and control the lens autofocus with the thumb wheel. So you don't need a motor. You just control it through the body and you can start, stop, and everything. So like that little unit of just like the A1 on an RS2, no motors attached, stills lens like a 24 to 70 or a 16 to 35, depending on what you're doing, is nasty. You shoot 4K, um, you can go super 35, 4k. That's another thing that I like about the FX nine and the a one is they both can do super 35 and stay 4k. So like on my a one, I have it programmed. So you hit a little button on the lens. A lot of these new lenses have buttons and it just crops in. So like if you need a little extra reach in a dock situation and you don't want to sacrifice resolution, you just hit the button boink and you're in FX nine. You want to do Super 35 PL lenses, we got a PL mount, throw it on, put it in Super 35 mode, ready to rip. You want 6K full frame, ready to rip. You know, it's 
they're incredible, just like flexible cameras that get out of your way, which I think to me is the biggest thing. Like, I just need a camera to not be a problem, you know, just facilitate what I'm trying to do. So that's what I've got. This took a little longer than I expected and ended up being much more about my whole story of cameras than about Sony cameras. Um, but if I had to pick between them, man, that's tough. If I could only own one camera in the whole wide world right now, it would probably be the Alpha One. Just the God's honest truth. Between stills, taking it for personal stuff, using it for professional stuff, being able to do video with it, an A1 or even two A1s is like absolutely nasty. For like cinematic documentary stuff, the FX9 is pretty, pretty much unbeatable in my opinion. With the one exception being if you don't need Super 35 and you're doing high speed, the FX6 is pretty sick. And the low light in the FX6, I mean, ISO 4000 on the FX9 is great, but whatever the like 12,000 is on the on the FX6 is definitely an extra little punch. But the the size on the FX6 can be convenient or annoying depending on what you're doing. So like there's no magic bullet, but I think my favorite camera is the A1. It's the thing that like I throw in my backpack and I'm like, okay, I can go shoot 4K 120 if I want. I can go take crazy stills at 30 frames per second if I want. And I don't really rip with all the features all the time, honestly, but like it's nice to have them. So that's why I went Sony. And oh, one other small tip I would give, because <laughs> this is this is the kind of story we're telling now. It's just me telling tips. Uh I bought a Sigma 100 to 400 last year and it was like 800 bucks. And it's not a lens that I use a ton, but it's a lens that when I do is awesome. Like so many cinema lens sets don't go past like an 85, I think. And having that 100 to 400, like that level of compression you can create is really cool sometimes. We did a bank commercial last year and we had to get a shot of a car pulling through an ATM and we didn't want to show all the buildings around us like Verizon billboards and all this stuff. And so we went down the street to like the 400 end of the 400 and just did like a slow pan as the car came in. It was the coolest shot and it was something that I never would have done if I didn't have that lens. And so it's something that I bring with me on a lot of stuff now is like a just in case. I end up pulling it out more than the 16 to 35, but both of those are sort of like extreme lenses. But yeah, I, I love that lens. And to have cheap EF stuff like that, or even just for stills, it's like you get crazy stuff out of it. Anecdotally, I really love all the Sigma art stuff. Their new DGDN stuff is incredible too. Uh, if I could only have three lenses for my FX9, it would be the Sigma 28, the Sigma 40, and the Sigma 85. And past that, I mean, if you had a limitless budget, maybe it would be something else. But pound for pound, dollar for dollar, those are my favorite. I think that's my whole story. So uh, that's why I shoot Sony. And if you have any questions, uh, let me know and I can answer them. But uh, remember, keep it secret. <laughs>